The text for the sermon this day is taken from all three readings, the gospel, the Old Testament, or the, the reading from Acts, and the epistle lesson. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to start with a little bit of an analogy, and our seventh grader that is here knows this because I used this on Wednesday. But anyways... I'm going to start with a little bit of an analogy. I want you to imagine that it is a beautiful day like it is today, so it's not hard. A couple weeks ago, that would have been difficult. But this today, imagine it's beautiful. And you're out in your car, and you're driving around. The sky's blue. The sun is shining high. And you're listening to some good music. And all of a sudden, for some reason or another, you get distracted. And you decide, and you see, maybe you see something on the floor that you need to grab at. Maybe you get a, a, fo a phone call or a text message, and you have to respond to it, whatever it may be. And you're not paying attention, and you go through a stop sign, and you hear a thud. You stop, and you get out to see what it is. And I realize this is kind of a morbid analogy, but you get out. And you see that you hit a child. So they, the child does not survive. And you are for, and so you have to go before court. There's no doubt that you bear the blame because you weren't paying attention. You went through the stop sign. And you're going to have to stand before a judge. Now this judge is particularly invested in this case. Not, and the reason is, and I understand this is a hypothetical situation, so I know it can't really happen this way, but this judge happens to be the father to the child that was killed. So you stand there before that judge, knowing what you have done. There, is, there were witnesses, there were cameras, they know that you are guilty that you are guilty of vehicular manslaughter and there is nothing you could say that, that you, to say that you didn't do it. So you might be tempted to say, well, you know, Your Honor, I have never had a single speeding ticket. I have never, I've always worn my, my seatbelt. I obey every traffic law there is. I do all these wonderful things in my community. You know, I help out with the schools. I help out with... Um, with the food pantry, or I help out with the orphan grain train, or I help out at my church, I, do all, I work with the, the Kiwanis Club, I do all these good things. What, is the, what would that judge do? Would he say, oh, well, in that case, I'm going to let you go. No, he's going to sit there and say, you know, that is wonderful. That's great that you do those things but it does not change the fact that my child is no longer here because of your negligence. So there's nothing you of your own, on your own, could do to get out of this. So the judge stands there, he has the verdict, and he says, you are guilty. 
There's no doubt about it, and there's nothing you can do to undo what you have done. And so the judge, but then the judge starts doing something strange. He begins to start to unbuckle his, his robe, and he has clothes underneath, don't worry. But he slowly unbuckles the robe, and he steps out from behind the bench. And he goes over to the bailiff, and he holds out his wrists, and he says, I'm going to serve the sentence in their place. They're guilty, but I'm going to pay the penalty for their crime. They killed my daughter or my child, but I'm going to jail for them. That sounds crazy, right? You would never do that. If somebody hurts your child, you would not suffer be willing to suffer the penalty for the crime they had done against your child. But you see the analogy I just gave you, that is the gospel. You, I, we are all wretched sinners. We all bear the guilt for so much of what's wrong with, for everything that's wrong with this world. We play a part in all of it. The reason why we live in a world where there is homelessness, where there is, where there is abuse of sexual and physical, in a world where there is drug abuse, alcohol abuse, in a world where there is corrupt government, corrupt leaders, in a world where people have suffer from various diseases, in a world where there is murder, where there is rape, where there is arson, in a world where there is so many broken families, so many broken relationships, so much distrust, in a world where there is earthquakes, where there is tornadoes, where there is typhoons, we bear the blame for all of it. Because the earth, creation, is in groaning. All of creation is affected by our sin. You read in Isaiah that you get the, pro you get the image of what, it's like, what the world is like when there's no sin. Because it says that the wolf and the lamb will lie together. How, many, how likely do you think a wolf and a, lion, and a lamb are going to lie together today? That wolf is going to look over and go, hmm, I got dinner tonight. That's how deep our sin is, that the wolf devours the lamb. That is even a cause by sin. So we stand before God, guilty of destroying his perfect world. But God does not give us what we deserve. Rather, he shows love. In fact, 1 John 3.16, this was last week, this was from last week's reading. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Which I love the way the ESV does that, because they don't say, they don't, because in the NIV they'll say, by this we know love, that Jesus Christ laid down his life. Which isn't entirely false, but it's not what the text actually says. Or in the King James they do, it's like, by this we know God's love, 
that he laid down his life. Again, not entirely false, but it misses what John is doing. See, what John is letting you know is that he, grammatically speaking, he is love. Love isn't something you do. Love isn't just an emotion. Love is a person. In fact, that gets verified by John one chapter later when he does say, God is love. By this we know love, that he, he, love, laid his life down. Who did he lay his life down for? His enemies. As Paul says it, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. That's love. So by love is that Christ, it, God is love. He, he laid his life down. Who lays his life down? The good shepherd, which you heard about last week. And who is the good shepherd? Jesus. The good shepherd, who is Jesus? Who is God? Who is love? Lay down his life for you, that you may have eternal life, that you may have salvation, that before the all-righteous judge, who is God, you are just. You are justified. No, he doesn't justify your sins. He justifies you. It's a very important distinction. In our culture, they think it means justify your sins. No, he justifies you you. He takes the penalty for your sins. That is the love of God. And see, that goes back to our gospel lesson. I am the vine. So that is who the vine is. That is, that is the, he is love itself. That means when you received the, when you were baptized, you were clothed in love. When you hear God's word proclaimed to you, you are hearing love itself. When you receive the Lord's Supper, when you receive that bread, when you receive that wine, which is indeed the body and blood of Jesus, you are actually partaking of love himself. Not itself, but himself. And by that you are strengthened. By that you are made a, a mighty branch. Because he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Because 1 John 3.16 continues. And notice, it's kind of interesting. Did you, have you noticed that I said 1 John 3.16? What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that ever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Fun fact, the Bible did not originally have trap, chapters or verses. The chapters and verses were not added to the Bible until like the 11th century, something like that. Basically, scholars put it in to just make it easier for you to find verses of the Bible. And so you could quickly go, oh, what? oh that verse is such and such. It's made things a lot easier. So, because you imagine if it's like a regular novel, but that's the way it originally was. But it's amazing it worked out perfectly. That that's what John 3.16 is. And then 1 John 3.16 is, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. But it continues. This is where it's different than John 3.16. He says, therefore, 
we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. Or as it says here in today's text, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love that he has poured upon us, is the very reason we are called to love and serve everybody. Now, I see it a lot of times on, me on social media, on Facebook or whatever. Somebody posts a meme and says, you know what? I'm sick of helping other people. Nobody ever helps me. I'm going to, for now on, look, out after, look after myself and nobody else. Raise your hand if you've ever seen a meme like that, if anybody's on social media. Okay, some of you, it's okay, okay. Um, so, but here's the thing. Our love is supposed to be like God's. Do you think God loves us that way? Would you want God to love you that way? Here's a thought, just think of it this way. GQ recently released a magazine, that was an article that was pretty controversial, because it made a listing of the top 20 most overrated books that nobody needs to read anymore. And one of the books that was on that was the Bible. And the reason they, used, they made this argument, as an atheist, but the reason they argued was, well, Christians don't take it very seriously either. So why should anyone else? And if you think, well, that's nuts. But here's a thought. When was the last time you opened your Bible outside of church? Nobody has to answer, but, but that's awesome. <laughs> but that is, hopefully, yes, it's more recent. How often are you in Bible study? Or finding some type of a Bible study? How often are you in church? How, how often do we actually truly act as if that word matters? And more so, how often are we not like James, James warned against us being like looking at, a mirror, looking at your reflection in the mirror and going out and forgetting that you ever saw it? How often do we read the Bible and walk out as if we never did? That is ways that we dishonor God. That is ways that we, we are very much fortunate that God does not love us the way we want to love others. And here's the thing. Even if we could pretend that we are perfect and we actually do always love God perfectly, here's the thing. We don't love our neighbors because they will give us something. You're not supposed to love anyone for your rewards. I mean, think about this. Think about when you, if any of you have had children and you've had to, raise, had to change their diapers. Did you ever sit there while you're changing the diaper thinking, oh, I can't wait to see how they pay me back for doing this? Trust me, as many diapers as you change, they're never going to get close. See, that's God's love. And that's supposed to be our love for everyone. And the, see, the thing is, the reason... And actually, Luther actually made the argument that the greatest model of Christian love is a mother changing a child's diaper. Because they're literally going into the filth of humanity with no expectation of any reward whatsoever. 
We are to be the same when we serve anybody and everyone. And see, even more so, we should be motivated because the reason we're not working for a reward is because you already have the reward. You have the reward of the love of Christ. You have the reward of salvation. You have the reward of eternity, which is more than anything you will ever need. That is why we serve. That is why we love one another. It's because God loved us. Not so we could get something. We do it because of what we have received. Because we are the branches growing off of the vine that is Christ, we serve. And I read a good article explaining why we shouldn't actually... We, don't, we shouldn't actually be talking about volunteering at church. The reason is, is volunteering suggests it's, op- it's optional to help out around the church. The better word is serve. It's not optional. You should be finding something. That is what is part of living as a Christian. Because it's an old, old saying amongst the church that 10% of the church does 90% of the work. That should not, ever, should not be the case. There, we always struggle to get ushers. We're always struggling to get a variety of help around this church in very simple things. Look at how hard it was for us to get anybody on our ballots at the voters' meeting. We had, we had an empty space. When we started, we didn't have all the elders because we couldn't find anybody. I know many people have definitely served their time, but many could step up. We are called to serve. If you want to see how that, what that looks like, what it looks like to be where you to live in the reality of Christ's love, that's where that reading from Acts comes in. There you have Philip. Did you know that Philip is not a pastor in this the Philip in this text is not a pastor. There is Philip the Apostle, but that's a different guy. This is another Philip. This is Philip who is probably more in line with a modern-day elder. He is one of several, I think it's seven people, who are assigned by the apostles. And the apostles said, we cannot give up the time of preaching to be tending to tables. So they assigned seven, seven men to carry out other tasks, which is exactly why we have a church council, why we have elders, is because we are doing what the early church did. Because you are making it possible that the pastors and uh, the workers of the church could do what they need to be doing, what we need to be doing, to make it better, to better, more effectively spread the gospel. So this Philip, he just happens to be out and about, and the, the Lord, or the angel of the Lord, which by the way is usually Jesus, or it could be the Holy Spirit maybe, but anyways, he directs Philip to this Ethiopian eunuch. And he goes over to them, and he hears, and he hears he's reading through a text, the book of Isaiah. And he's been able to tell him that, he asks him, who is this about? Is this about the prophet? Or is this about someone else? To which Philip says, well, it's about Jesus. I know I'm giving the short version of that. But that's what he says. Pretty much, it is Jesus. 
This is about Christ. And upon that confession, this Ethiopian eunuch became a Christian. And he brought Christianity back to Ethiopia, which at this point is one of the fastest growing Lutheran countries on the planet. Yes, it is growing insanely fast in Ethiopia. And it all began with that man. Began, actually began with Philip. Well, actually it goes back to Jesus too, but obviously Jesus. But that is, that everyday person who was not a pastor, he was the one that was called upon to bring the gospel to another. And that is the greatest love you can give to anybody is to tell them about Jesus, the source of salvation, the light in the darkness. People, I mean, there are so many struggles in this life, so many difficulties. That's why we need the gospel of Jesus, to hear of his love. Do you know of people who don't feel like they're loved? Who feel like nobody cares about them? feels like they have no value. The best place to point them doesn't always help, but hopefully it, eventually it does if it starts to thick in, stick in or something to stand on and say, listen, the one who created the heavens and the earth says that you, he loves you enough that he was willing to die for you even though you were his enemy. That's how much he loves you. You're right, you're not a perfect person. You are flawed. But that, he loves you anyways. That's the gospel we need to bring into the world. Love for the loveless. That's the gospel. Because you're loveless. I'm loveless. But God loves us anyways. So therefore, powered by that love, powered, moved by that by that vine, may we branch out into the world with his love, that they too may be branches grafted into the vine that is love, that is God, that is the good shepherd, that is Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith, the life everlasting, amen. We continue with, by singing the next four verses of the hymn of the day. Mm -hmm. 